if you have not seen, if you've not seen uh, Charlie Wilson on the NPR Tiny Desk, it's one of the best ones ever, ever. Uh, just Google it and check it out. Um, when NPR, I was at NPR for years, as many of you know, hosting a show, the first African American in the history of NPR to have his own daily show. So I had, I had a decent time at NPR for the three or four years I was there, uh, making history. But uh, it was during that time where they launched this notion of the tiny desk when I was at NPR. And I wasn't sure how it was going to work out, although I thought it was a creative and innovative idea to have artists come in, perform live in a stripped down sort of manner. And that tiny desk idea was one of the best things NPR has ever done. And I've seen some great stuff on Tiny Desk. But if you have not seen Uncle Charlie and his Tiny Desk appearance on NPR, trust me, it's only 30 minutes. But you will rarely see anything better than what uh, than what Charlie did on that Tiny Desk. So um, you should check it out. Uh, we're playing Charlie Wilson because uh, June is Black Music Month. And every day during this month, uh, we pick an artist uh, and uh, we play their music. All three hours of our program. We call it an artist in residence, although they're always an artist in abstention, really. Ain't none of them here, but their music is here. So uh, there are artists in residence in abstention. And today, uh, Charlie Wilson is our featured artist. And so all three hours of today's program, you hear some of the best of uh, Charlie Wilson, Uncle Charlie, as we celebrate June being Black Music Month. In this hour, on June 29th, speaking of June, the California Reparations Task Force will finally hand over to the state legislature its extensive report and recommendations for compensation to eligible black Californians for the harms of slavery. So now what? That's the question, right? Now what? Uh, couldn't have a better guess to answer that question than uh, the lead organizer of the Coalition for a Just and Equitable California. His name is Chris Lodson. Chris, welcome back to KBLA. How are you, my friend? Travis, I am great. It is a pleasure to be back with you. It's an honor to have you back, and I'm glad we have an hour because there's a whole lot to to, yes, to get sir. to to answer that question. <laughs> now what? So let, let me let, let me just start with 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 the broad question. Now what? You take it wherever you want to go, and I'll follow you. Take it away, Chris. Now what? Yeah. <laughs> now we get reparations done. You know, Travis, I've, I've been telling our team at CJ Coalition for Just and Equitable California that. You know, we've already made history. You know, it was it was already history making to help enact the first ever state level reparations task force bill, and to do that work in 2019 and 2020 alongside and with the leadership of then, of course, Assembly Member Dr. Shirley Weber, now California Secretary of State, Dr. Shirley Weber. It was already history making doing that, but I tell our team what we have to do next is going to make what we've already done look easy, mm-hmm. because next and now we have to get the reparations. And so what we have to do next is encourage, motivate, and push our state Senate, our state assembly, and our governor to actually enact a strong reparations bill in 2024. I am highly, I I won't say 100% confident, but I'm 99.9% confident that we will have reparations legislation introduced in 2024. That is already publicly stated by two of the sitting task force members who are also state level representatives. 
That is Senator Stephen Bradford, who I'm sure you know very well, mm-hmm. and also Assemblymember Reginald Jones-Sawyer. So they have already publicly committed to introducing reparations legislation in 2024. Our job is to actually get it done. Okay. So I'm glad we got the hour. There's a whole lot to unpack, as I said. As we say, yeah. around, here, as we say around here, we got a lot to talk about. So uh, I, yes. I, I want to come in a moment to how we successfully frame the arguments that have to be made to get this legislation passed. We're going to spend most of our time talking about the framing of this. Uh, My dear friend Connie Rice, a regular contributor to my program, Connie Rice always says in every conversation, Tavis, get your frame right. you got to get your frame right. Right. And I don't think we yet have the frame right for how we get this passed. That's my own assessment. So we're going to talk about framing as we move through this hour. But before we do that, you mentioned our friends uh, Stephen Bradford and uh, and Reggie, of course, um, both friends of this station, both regular guests on 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 this station. Uh, Steve Bradford and I were together in the last mm, ten days. Um, this station, mm-hmm. as part of our Juneteenth um, coverage, as part of our Juneteenth activity, um, we uh, we uh, we joined with the Empowerment Congress uh, here in Los Angeles for uh, a, a one day symposium, if you will, called State of the Freed, State of the Freed. Mm. And the mm. conversation that entire day focused on uh, reparations and where we are in this moment as we sure. celebrate Juneteenth, 2023, on the issue of reparations. Had an all-star panel, uh, a number of uh, other speakers and breakout sessions. But Steve Bradford, State Senator Steve Bradford, was one of the persons on the panel. And he said to the audience that day, very candidly, that he was concerned uh, about the effort mm. ultimately to get this uh, bill passed, whatever the bill is going to be ultimately to get yeah. it passed. And here's why he was concerned. He said that he had just introduced a couple of days prior to coming to this session. He introduced legislation in the state Senate to, ex- to extend the life of the task force. Yep. And as you know, he could not get that passed. Now we ain't, we ain't got to, to the point of talking about writing checks yet. He, 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 he could not get he could not get his colleagues in the Senate to extend the life of the task force. And so based on his inability to get that done, he shared with the audience very candidly, this is going to be an uphill battle. Now, as black folk, we've been used to climbing up the rough side of the mountain. No question about that. Right. But he yeah. expressed his concern that if he couldn't get that passed just to extend the life of the task force, how much more difficult is it going to be exponentially more difficult to get something done? So let me just start with that. When you hear Steve Bradford sure. say something like that, how do you hear it? Well, I think it's not only that. It's the it's the effort that we had last year to remove the slavery and involuntary servitude exception from our state constitution, which the state of California would not even allow on the ballot for voters. So, you know, there are a number of different pieces of legislation that we think should be, you know, no brainers and obviously have difficulty passing. I think that Senator Bradford is rightly concerned. I think he's rightly focused on the legislative and political work that has to be done. I am confident, though, that with folks like Senator Bradford, folks like Member Sawyer, folks like others who are in the legislature who we know are supportive of reparations, for example, folks in the California Legislative Black Caucus who are largely, if not completely, supportive and behind reparations, I am, and also, of, of course, obviously with the support and the, the guidance of the secretary, right, Secretary mm-hmm. Weber, who we who we mentioned earlier, who I believe is going to be a powerful political influence, not just in the legislature, 
but also in the governor's office, which is another piece that we have to talk about too, right? Which is, oh, yeah, you know, this... if there's support in the, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, we also need so, support in the governor's office too. So hold that thought. When we come forward, we'll come right to that. That's the other issue I wanted to get to anyway. So you you are not just brilliant, but you're prophetic and prescient. Because uh, that's exactly where I want to go next. It's one thing to talk about what the legislature is going to be up against. Uh, and again, we've sort of unpacked that. We'll talk about it a bit more perhaps as we move through the hour. But I'm concerned about this governor. I've expressed public concern about it. Uh, my colleague, Dominic DePrima, on her program has expressed concern about this moonwalk, if you will, the Michael Jackson moonwalk that the governor is starting to do on this issue. And that concerns many of us. He signed off on this idea many, many months ago. But now he seems to be getting cold feet. So we'll talk about the governor. We'll talk about how we frame this. We are on the eve of the California Reparations Task Force turning over um, its report and recommendations to the state legislature. That happens just days from now on June 29th. And we're just trying to figure out what happens next, how we handicap the possibility, the potential of legislation actually getting passed and signed into law, uh, signed into law, that is, by the governor of this state. Our guest in this hour is Chris Lodson, who is uh, the lead organizer for the coalition for Just and Equitable California. More with Chris when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. More of the best of Charlie Wilson. All three hours of our program today on KBLA Talk 1580 as we celebrate June being Black Music Month. We continue our conversation now with our guest, uh, our friend and brother Chris Lodson with the Coalition for a Just and Equitable California. We were talking before the break uh, about how we frame um, this effort uh, to achieve reparations in this state. The whole nation is watching, as I've often said, what happens in California politics either cast a long shadow or a long sunbeam across the nation. And it always uh, cracks me up uh, when I'm talking to guests on this program. We're flagshipped in L.A., of course, heard across the nation. And I'm always talking to national figures, as you know, on this program. And you hear the same stuff I hear at the same time I hear it. Uh, and that is uh, the, the frequent references to reparations here in California and the fight for reparations. I should say, here in California. So everybody in the country is watching this, uh, waiting to see what we do. And it will, once again, either cast a long shadow or a long sunbeam across the nation. Um, that said, uh, before I get to, the again, the broader conversation of how we frame this successfully, um, because there are going to be many hurdles to overcome uh, on our way to, to getting this done, uh, let me start with uh, where Chris left off, and that is with the governor. And, and so my, my read of this, and again, many of my other colleagues here at this station, you know, I'm, I'm only on three hours a day, which means there are other hours of the day where all kinds of hosts are having their say. They're opining as well. And I think it's fair to say that the majority of the hosts that I've heard on our station uh, also feel, uh, Chris, some of the same skepticism about the ways in which mm. Gavin Newsom is moving right about now. I don't need to call it much more mm. than that. Give me your take uh, on the governor. Yeah, that's great. That's a great point. And, you know, I just to be honest, you know, folks from our team also, you know, have expressed some of the same sort of skepticism and some of the same, quite frankly, con concern from some of the comments that the governor made really in the past, you know, three to four weeks or so around California reparations, specifically as it relates to direct cash compensation, which is being recommended by the state Re reparations task force. And the, the governor made some comments to the effect of, well, you know, there should be more than cash, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I take it like this. You know, I, I think ultimately when when there is a strong and and sensible bill that is before the governor's desk, I think the governor will ultimately sign it. Mm -hmm. um, I think our path to 
to getting there is a path, as you mentioned, with multiple hurdles, multiple obstacles. Um, right now, I would like the, the governor to wait for the bill to be actually presented to him before he makes any statements or any decisions of about it. Uh, mm -hmm. Personally, also, I think it's going to be important that as we do our work in the legislature, that we are one in communication with the governor's office, that we are in coordination with the governor's office, but also, quite frankly, that we have such strong support in the legislature, such strong support in the people, mm -hmm. which is just as important as anything else, that ultimately the governor will recognize what a transformational opportunity is before him a historic opportunity before him and do the right thing. Yep. I don't want to engage in any sort of uh, armchair pop psychology of this governor. Um, but mm -hmm. I do want to, but I do want to spend a few more minutes here, uh, Chris, with you sort of sure. dissecting uh, the way he has moved here to four and whether right. or not that gives us any indication of the way he will move in the future. To your point, you hope he will right. sign it. And you hope he'll keep his mouth shut. You didn't say it that way, but keep his mouth shut until <laughs> until until there's something on his desk. Uh, but let, let me let, let me just take a moment to a moment to give you my read of Gavin Newsom, and then sure. you tell what you think. Yeah. So sure. whether whether one agrees or disagrees with gay marriage, Gavin Newsom was the head of the curve on that in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. um, some would argue that he took a political risk advancing that notion. Others, others would say, well, it is San Francisco. It wasn't much of a risk in San Francisco. But Gavin Newsom was was taken to task and roundly criticized, as you recall, all across the nation for his advancing right. of that right in the city of San Francisco. So my point right. is he has shown that he can move boldly, in air quotes, he can move boldly on legislation, on ideas that seem unpopular to the rest of the nation. Now, obviously, years later, you know, gay marriage is written into the law in this country. Um, and so he was, you know, out front on that particular issue. But that's gay marriage. Right. Now we're talking about Negroes. We're talking about black folk now. <laughs> and that's a very different equation. It's a very different equation. We're talking about black folk. Um, racism, I repeat all the time on this program, to my mind, is the most intractable issue in this country. Right. And politicians will do A, B, and C, but they won't do D if D is black folk. It's us, yes. Exactly. <laughs> if, if it's us, it changes the equation completely. Mm -hmm. So I don't need to over-talk yeah. this. You see where I'm going here. You see the frame yeah. that I'm trying to create here. I just don't yeah. know that a guy of Gavin Newsom's age with Gavin Newsom's presidential aspirations wants this to be hung around his neck like a noose. I mean, that's a bad phrase, talking about reparations and black people. But he, mm -hmm. he, he wants to run for president, and everybody knows this, the worst-kept secret in the nation. Um, and I can't imagine, I can't imagine Gavin Newsom, as I know him, not already doing the political calculus on the hell he's going to catch when he runs for president and he's signed into law a reparations bill, they gave Negroes a bunch of checks. I, I, I can't see him <laughs> not factoring that into his future. Having said that, on the other hand, yeah. which is why I raised the gay marriage issue, Gavin Newsom yep. is not afraid to take certain risk in certain situations. I just ain't seen him do it with black folk. I'll shut up. The microphone is yours. Yeah, you know, I I, I love that framing, to, to be quite honest, because I think it's absolutely right. So there's two things. First, just straight up, I think we're going to find out what kind of leader Gavin Newsom really is throughout this process, specifically mm -hmm. as it relates 
to black folks who descend from persons who were enslaved in the United States. We're really going to find out what he's made of as it relates to our, our people. Is he really for this particular group of people or not so much? I think we're going to find that out through this process for sure. But I think the framing that, that, that you added to it is spot on. And that is, yes, there's political calculus around the risks, but there are political calcul- calculus and calculations around the historic returns and historic benefits to this. Mm-hmm. Gavin Newsom has an opportunity here, as I mentioned earlier, to be to be someone who makes a historic and transformational change in this country, starting here in California. That only bodes well. That only makes it more successful and more likely that he will be someone who could be president. And so if he, I think, really wants to be president, I think this is something that he should seriously consider and ultimately do. The ball will be in his court partially, but as I said, too, it's also in our court. It's also in the people's court. Mm -hmm. It's also in the community's court. And it's also, obviously, of course, in the legislature's court, too. And I think ultimately, as I mentioned, he will do the right thing, but it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be without pressure and push from us. So what I didn't say, and you made me think about it as you were talking, um, in terms of the political calculus, it, it does work the other way, as you intimated, which is that right. if you want to run for president and you have any understanding of how important black votes are to the base of the Come Democratic on. Party. Right. <laughs> what you don't want is to have black folk mad at you when you run for president. Right. And you can't count on their vote because when you had the opportunity to do right by them, you punted. Exactly. Or put another way, you punked out. So you you you, you exactly. that that calculus works as well. I think now of all kinds of people, the one that comes to mind immediately is Amy Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar mm-hmm. might well be vice president right now. Yeah. Because that's who Joe Biden wanted. Let's be clear about it. This ain't no secret. He wanted Amy Klobuchar above Kamala Harris. Um, but Klobuchar didn't get the nod because black folk in Minnesota raised all kind of hell about mm-hmm. how bad she had been as attorney general in that state when it came to cases involving black people. And the Absolutely. black folk in Minnesota, they they told them, them, them black folk in Minnesota told all the rest of us black folk. Let, yep. let us tell y'all about Amy Klobuchar, who she really is. And as you recall, her chances of getting the nod to be the vice president just dissipated by the day. Absolutely. And she eventually pulled her name out of the hat because she knew she wasn't going to get it. But that happened primarily because black folk in Minnesota, again, told all the rest of us who she really was and made it clear you do not want her as your vice president. So. Gavin Newsom Absolutely. has to do that calculus as well. If he's going to run for president and you want black votes and black folk, remember when you had an opportunity to get their backs, you didn't do that. How do you convince them to vote for you? I, I think that's what you were teeing up. Does that make sense to you? That that makes 100 percent sense. And I love that example because you are absolutely right. That was, you know, I, that was such a, a big deal for Amy, Amy Klobuchar where, you know, black folks. And, you know, I remember hearing about it here in California and mm-hmm. saying, oh, no, this is not somebody who I can support mm-hmm. for vice president or president. Because she was asked you know, for president at one, one time, too. Sure. So um, so Governor Newsom, I think, should look to that as an example of what could potentially happen if he does not take what is really a historic, again, transformational opportunity to actually do the right thing and 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 enact reparations for the descendants of those who were enslaved in the in the United States. Now let me say this too. Mm-hmm. In California and other states too, you know, even if the governor does not support something, there are ways to make it happen too. So the path to reparations is not only there there's not only one path 
to rep- reparations. There are multiple paths to reparations legis- legislation. Mm-hmm. One of those goes through the governor, but not all of them do. You know, so I think that's something that the governor should take into account also. And that's what I was also getting at where it's also about how much the people want it, and it's also about how much sure. the legislature wants it. So we come forward after news traffic and sports. I want to talk about what those other paths are. Um, so I'm sure people are curious what you mean by that. So uh, whatever those paths are that do not run through the governor's office, we're going to get Chris Lotson to explain that when we come forward, number one. Number two, we'll get Chris also to explain who's in and who's out, whatever it may be done in terms of uh, cash payments, who's in and who's out, what is that definition? Uh, I think that issue, is, I think it's been resolved now. We'll get Chris to explain, again, who gets a check and who doesn't. And then largely, um, we'll spend the rest of our time talking about, again, the framing, because I'm concerned that all the talk about money uh, is going to cause all kind of uh, drama uh, in the coming months as we try to get this thing passed. So we'll talk about how we properly frame a conversation uh, about uh, about racial justice, about racial equity, uh, about reparative justice uh, when people want to focus just on the money. And that's why you see Gavin Newsom is going to do the moonwalk. He don't want to deal with the money piece of it. So we'll talk about it when we come forward after News Traffic and Sports with our guest, Chris Lotson of the Coalition for a Just and Equitable California, who you're listening to right now on KBLA Talk. Some of the best of Charlie Wilson on KBLA Talk 1580 as we celebrate June as Black Music Month. Charlie Wilson is our featured artist of the day. You know, certain songs remind you of certain places and certain people. I went to school with a girl named Tamika. And whenever this song would come on, Tamika would just lose her mind. This is her favorite Charlie Wilson track. And all these years later, I've been out of school many years now. We'll leave it at that. And I still think of Tamika every time I hear this song. This is Tamika's track. Uh, and so I, that's just funny, but that's true for all of us. You hear certain songs, reminds you of certain places and people and things. And uh, all right, Tamika, wherever you are, I hope you hope your life is uh, is proceeding nicely. Uh, that said, uh, we continue our conversation now with Chris Lotson, uh, who's the lead organizer for the Coalition for a Just and Equitable California, as we talk about. Uh, what happens on June 29th? In case you've just tuned in, the California Reparations Task Force on June 29th will hand over to the California legislature its extensive report and recommendations for potential compensation to eligible black people of California for the harms of slavery. Uh, and so given that we are just days away from this momentous occasion here in California that the Coalition for a Just and Equitable California uh, have been so central in advancing. And I want to thank them and all the other persons who have uh, really been at the forefront of this issue. Uh, it's not lost on me that, because I've been at this for 30 plus years as a broadcaster on TV and radio. And so 30 years ago, you mentioned reparations, you get laughed out of the room. And here we are in 2023 on the verge of what could be, as Chris said earlier, a historic opportunity uh, for the governor of this state to sign into law, for the people of this state to celebrate uh, California uh, being um, you know, such a huge state uh, and people watching us again all the time. Uh, it's an opportunity for us to do something historic. Uh, but again, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, you would have been laughed out of the room raising the issue of reparation. So it's hard to believe uh, in many respects how far we've come on this particular issue, which leads me to ask a few other questions of our guest, Chris Lotson. Chris, let me start with this. Um, who's in and who's out? Uh, that that debate went on forever about who actually qualifies for whatever we're going to get. So who's in and who's out? Yeah, <laughs> it did go on forever. Yeah. <laughs> and in, uh, you know, in, in March of 2022, after, you know, almost a year or so of, 
public comment, public testimony, witness testimony, expert testimony, you know, uh, you know, public input and partic- participation. Uh, the state reparations task force here in California decided uh, partially that those who would be eligible for reparations are those African-Americans who are descendants of enslaved or free black persons who were living in the United States before the year 1900. And then later on, really in the last, I would say, six months or so, they added a residency piece, meaning that you also have to have at least lived in California for at least six months between the years of 1850 and 2020. So you have to have two pieces. We sort of tell folks when we're out in community meetings and community town halls talking about reparations, which we do regularly. We've hosted some 20 different California reparations events here in the state of California already this year alone, 20 last year also. And we tell folks your first foot in the door is that you have at least lived in California for six months, anytime between the years of 1850 and 2020. That's most of us, probably all of us, right? Secondly, your second foot in the door is that you are an African-American who is a descendant of someone who was enslaved or free and living in the United States before the year 1900. So that's your second foot in the door. You close the door behind you, and then how much you're eligible for potentially will depend on how long you've lived in the state mm-hmm. of California. So not everyone will be eligible for for everything. So that's who's in. Yeah. Who's out are those who are not descendants of those who were enslaved or free and living in the United States before the year 1900. So this is mostly our brothers and sisters who are voluntary immigrants to the United States or the descendants of those who are voluntary immigrants. Mm-hmm. Well, the good news is that I'm in. <laughs> that's the first good news. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> <laughs> 80, 80, 80 to 90% of anybody who self-identifies as black or African-American is eligible, will be eligible for reparations in California. That's, you know, 2 million plus of the 2.5 or 6 million of us here. Yeah. Um, which leads me uh, to another question, which I'll, 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 I'll just tee up but pause for the moment. And that is how, with that many people, you can afford to cut checks, whatever that check will be for. Mm. We'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, but the other issue that you raised before news traffic and sports that I don't want to get too far afield uh, from are these other paths to getting this on the books if we end up yeah. in, a, in a situation where the governor refuses to sign something that's been, that's been passed by the legislature. So tell me about these other paths. Yeah, I'll, I'll mention one just for just for folks in the in the audience to keep in mind and, and start to think about. So, you know, but let me say this first. You know, I want the governor to be a, a part of this. I want the governor and his team to recognize, again, the transformational opportunity that they have before them. And ultimately, I think they will. And ultimately, I think he 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 will. But, you know, if for some reason the governor got a bill on, on his desk and we successfully made it out of the state Senate and the state assembly and the, the bill gets to the governor's desk and the governor doesn't like the bill and doesn't want to sign it and doesn't want to engage in any negotiations to bring us closer to something that he can sign. Um, well, you know, uh, if he decides to veto the bill, vetoes are overridable. Uh, here in the state of California, uh, nationally also, with two-thirds of both houses in the state legislature, you could and we could override any veto. Now, I don't expect us to get to that place, mm-hmm. but to be quite honest, that is something that we have to have on the table because from our perspective at the coalition, we will get reparations done one way or another. And to us, we, we, we have a saying, it's not over until we win. There you go. I'm, I'm with you on that one. I, I would have to believe that as um, smart as Gavin Newsom is, 
uh, his team will be working, I assume, with the legislature to make sure that he does get something that he can sign. It, it'd be horrible politics. I mean, it, that's politics 101, right? Um, a, a, a neophyte in a situation like this would know that you don't let something right. to your desk that you have to veto. You don't want to. You don't want to be that guy. You know that guy that right. that vetoed something. So I, I assume and hope that um, his team and the governor's office will be working with the the legislature uh, to make sure that Absolutely. whatever is crafted is something that he can in fact affix his signature to. Um, I, 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 I digress on that point. All right, now for the rest of our time, I want to talk about the framing. I said earlier, uh, quoting my friend Connie Rice, you got to get your framing right. Let me just be direct and forthright with you. It troubles me that the conversation uh, in the mainstream media, and this may be intentional for all I know, but everybody, oh, yeah. but everybody <laughs> focuses. Yeah, I hear you laughing already, right? Uh, the focus is always on the money. And as long as the focus is on the money, uh, that limits, I think, where this conversation can go. I yield to you, Chris Lotson. Yeah, you know, I, I'm so glad you brought this up because this is very interesting. So I want to first say that, and I think most folks know, but hopefully if you don't know, now you will know that the State Reparations Task Force is recommending direct financial compensation to those who are eligible for reparations. And in their final report, which, by the way, the draft of which is up and available now on the website of the California Reparations Task Force, the there there are some really important, I would say, ways that the State Reparations Task Force and the economists that work for the State Reparations Task Force came up with how much or uh, how much folks could be pot- potentially eligible for. So how do you even figure out how much someone someone would be eligible for? And the State Repar- Reparations Task Force final report goes through that in detail. And I, I think it's some of the most important economic work done on what our people are owed. Mm. It's smart. It's sensible. It's, it's, it's something that I've never seen done quite, quite honestly. So that is in the final report. And that is a recommendation of a state task force. It's one of many recommendations of course. And quite honestly, I think it is to be honest, the most important of the recommendations. And this is why. Mm. So all of the things that our people have experienced from slavery, which as some of the task force members call the scene of, scene of the crime, and then all the things that came after slavery, the racial terror, the political disenfranchisement, the harms to our people in housing and education and in healthcare, and the theft of our cultural and intellectual property and the environmental harm and racism and the wealth gap, et cetera. All of those things have materially manifested themselves primarily in our wealth position as a people. Mm-hmm. And so what the task force is recommending is that we target our wealth position directly with direct financial, monetary, economic compensation. That is, to me, one of, if not the most important recommendations that the task force has made and will be recommending to the state and, of course, to the governor. It is, again, one of many recommendations, and it is something that I think the the state itself will seriously consider, uh, but it is something that cannot be I think overlooked cannot be excluded from what we ultimately get. So um, I hear your point loud and clear. And what I want to press on is how we frame that reality. I I hear everything you said. It makes perfect sense to me. But uh, optics are everything, as you well know. You 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 engage politics, politics and politicians every day. So optics are everything. So how do we frame that issue successfully? That's what I want to ask Chris Lotson about when we come forward on KBLA Talk 15. 
We had UCLA's Dr. Tyrone Howard as a guest on our program yesterday. Um, he is the host of a brand new program premiering this Saturday at 10 a.m. called You Must Learn. We're honored to have uh, Dr. Howard uh, uh, join our lineup. By the way, in the next hour, uh, we will share with you, uh, introduce you to two other new hosts uh, who are joining our lineup this week on KBLA Talk 1580. But I come to Dr. Howard, uh, Chris Lobson, because he was making the point yesterday that he is very hopeful, as am I, that however we define reparative justice uh, in this legislation that we will send to the governor's desk for signage at some point, uh, I'm hopeful that there will be some educational component to it. Uh, because education uh, for so many of us is now and always has been the great equalizer. But I hear your point that there are any number of ways to define what that reparative justice looks like. My, my, my question, though, and my concern is whether or not all the rest of that stuff, no matter how important and legitimate it might be, gets overshadowed by the talk about the money. Uh, and if that becomes the central theme, do we think we can get the votes we need to get it passed? Ultimately, I think so, to be to be honest with you. And I think that the State Reparations Task Force actually had the framing correct. Mm -hmm. um, so the State, the State Reparations Task Force is required by law to create a reparations plan that has five pieces to it. So compensation is the first piece, right? That's the direct monetary financial. Uh, restitution is, is the second piece. That's the return of land, the return of property. Uh, rehabilitation, that's free education, free medical service, free mm. legal services, et, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what we call guarantees of non-repetition. So changes to our government, changes to our system, changes to our laws to make sure that what happened to us never happens again. And then finally, what we call satisfaction. So these are what you might think of as the more symbolic forms of reparation, things like changing our textbooks to make sure that the actual history of what actually happened is actually told correctly and truthfully, um, taking down, you know, um, racist, monuments in the public and putting up what we want in their place. So that's five different pieces, compensation, restitution, rehabilitation, guarantees of non-repetition, and satisfaction. Those are the five pieces that the State Reparations Task Force is going to recommend as a part of a package of reparations recommendations. And as we were just talking about, the financial piece is the most important to me, but also it's the most focused on so so far, and I think, as you mentioned earlier, some of that is intentional too, mm -hmm, right? But mm -hmm. I, I think the way that we we frame this is 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 very very important, and, and this is why I'm, I'm really glad that you're bringing this framing piece piece up too. So I think it's about one making the case that reparations and compensation specifically is not something that is unusual for the for the United States. Think about our Japanese brothers mm -hmm, and sisters; mm -hmm. they receive compensation, right? Think about our Jewish brothers and sisters, although not from the, the United States government. They receive reparations in the form of, co of compensation as well. So reparations as a form of compensation is very, very common, not just here in the U United States, but also across the world, too. I don't know of any other reparations program anywhere, to be honest with you, that did not have a direct compensation piece to it. And if you think about our people yeah. who worked for 256 years for no wages and no pay at, at all and then were obviously subjected to a lot of really, really bad things after that, uh, the, the direct conversation has to be a part of it. But also to the to the framing, it's not that it's very common for there to be direct compensation. Yeah. It's also one piece of a larger package. And this is why we're really going to need folks like yourself and others to re really be talking about the big package of what we call rep reparations, of course, inclusive of 
reparations as direct compensation. Yeah. One thing we can't do is leave out the direct compensation, which is what I'm sort of hearing folks try to try to do now with, well, let's do everything but the direct compensation. Yeah. No, if it doesn't have compensation, it's not reparation. Nope, your examples are spot on, and yet uh, you and I both know that uh, politicians get real spineless and milk toast when it comes to justice for black folk. I digress. Our remaining moments with Chris Lotz, and when we come forward on KBLA Talk 15. So, Chris, uh, I've enjoyed this hour immensely, and you've uh, in, in, empowered us with a lot of information that we need to know as we are on the eve, again, of uh, the California Reparations Task Force on June 29th, handing over their reporting recommendations to the California legislature for action that will ultimately and hopefully lead to uh, the signage, the passage of uh, this bill uh, by the governor. Let me close with this in the two minutes I have left at this point. Uh, what is the Coalition for a Just and Equitable California asking everyday black folk, uh, maybe not even just black folk, those who believe in, in justice and fairness, fundamental fairness, um, what is it that you are asking everyday people to do at this point, at this moment? Right. So great question. And thank you so much for asking. That. I think right now we're asking folks to make sure that they are either in attendance personally, in person or virtually at the upcoming California Reparations Task Force public hearing, which is, again, on June 29th. That's next Thursday, June 29th from 9 a.m. to about 1135 or noon um, p.m. that day. It's in Sacramento at the Secretary of State Office, 1511 Street, 95814 first floor auditorium. Be there in person. It's free. It's open to the public. If you can't be there in person, make sure you are watching it virtually. It's live stream on YouTube and on our website too, cjec-official.org. So the first thing we're asking folks to do is make sure that they're there at the final task force hearing. Second thing we're asking folks to do is make a personal commitment today to stay informed with current and accurate California reparations information. There is a lot of both misinformation and disinformation about California reparations out there, and there's more to come. So make a personal commitment to stay informed with current and accurate California reparations information. You, you can do that by, of course, following your show, Tabis, right here, where you put out a lot of great information on California reparations, but also by going to our website, cjec official.org and signing up for our free monthly California reparations newsletter. We, we also have free California reparations text messages that we put out also. So make a personal commitment today to stay informed about California reparations. Next and lastly, we are also asking folks to first know who your state senator and know who your state assembly person is. These are going to be the people who are going to vote on California rep reparations in 2024. We have something that we call the reparations equation. It's 41 plus 21 plus one. Mm -hmm. Next year, we want reparations in California. That means we want 41, senators, 41 assembly members, 21 senators, and one governor to say yes. Mm -hmm. So, Make a commitment today also to know who your state senator is, to know who your state assembly person is, and then stay tuned because we are going to have a lot of, of work for folks to do to move those senators and move those assembly members to 41, 21, and 1. I can assure you that you'll hear the voice of Chris Lawson on this program and I'm, I suspect others on this station uh, as this process moves forward. For now, we thank him and his team for all the great work they're doing at the Coalition for a Just and Equitable California. Chris, I always enjoy talking to you. Thank you for your time, sir. My brother, it is a pleasure. Thank you so much, as always. Thank you. The final hour of Tabby Smiley when we come forward on KBLA Talk.